you know what the really amazing thing about that whole thing is? Is that I had never seen that movie before. I mean, it is crazy to think that um, for over 20 years, I did not see that movie. And, and what was so crazy about it is when I found out I was going to have to pinch hit, uh, the first thing I thought was, well, I better watch the movie. Uh, and, but it was so cool because as I'm watching this thing, it is literally like watching my own childhood. It was crazy because I grew up, you know, during that same era, uh, you know, a while back. And uh, it, it, but it, was so, it was so amazing because some of the things that you didn't see, uh, you'll have to go watch the movie. If you haven't seen it, don't be like me. Watch it because it, it's worth your time. But like, you know, when they try chewing tobacco for the first time. Uh, you know, that, that was me, you know, puking on the tilt-a-whirl. That, I, I did that, you know, all over people, and people were ready off screaming. You know, that, that, was, that was my life at, at the Gates County Fair. You know, and I, and, and I grew up in this, in this small town, and, and so much of, of things like baseball and stuff was such a big part of it. And, and we even had the beast. I mean, we had this dog that was at the Andrews house. And the Andrews lived just up the street from us, but you had to walk by their house to get to the swimming pool. And the dog was on a chain just like that, and it would hang out in its dog house. And it had worn this giant circle around this stake in the ground with dragging this chain around and around and around. And every time you'd walk by there, that dog would just lunge at the end of that chain. You know, just waiting to just eat you alive. And, and one day when I was coming home from the swimming pool, this dog goes lunging just like it always does. I'm not really paying attention to it until suddenly I realized that the chain broke. And this dog is coming at me. And, and I just froze. I, I didn't know. I, I knew I couldn't outrun it because I I'm, you know, it was kind of as fast as the catcher that we saw, you know, kind of that type of thing, all bath, you know, uh, that was me. And uh, <laughs> so I just froze. I didn't know what to do. I, I knew the end, you know, I was, you know, probably nine years old. My life was over. I just knew it. And, and this dog comes running up. It start, it's walking around me and it's sniffing. And as I'm standing there, I suddenly feel this warm sensation running down my leg. And I... <laughs> I really wasn't sure if it was me or the dog, to be honest with you, because I was that scared. And, and I finally glanced down, and sure enough, the dog had its leg lifted on me. And, and it, it hadn't gone to the bathroom for a long time, apparently. And I just stood there, you know, and my, my tennis shoes are filling up. And, I mean, it's just, it's just nasty. But I did not flinch. I did not move. I stayed the course. And finally the dog walked off, and I slogged my way home. But, it, you know, even, even the beast, you know, that, I, I, I saw that. And, and uh, but, but the sports, and, and we had, our neighborhood was full of, of boys especially, and uh, they were all close to my age. And, and we had this crosstown rival, because one of the guys in the neighborhood, his last name was Nighty. And across town, there was a, a guy by the name of Rudder. 
And so we, we would have these epic battles of Nightyville versus Rudderville. And we'd play baseball against each other, and we'd play football against each other. And, and it was just so fun. And, uh, you know, people cheated, and it made it awesome. Uh, but, but, but baseball especially gave me my moment of fame. And uh, I, I just, you know, I, I felt like I needed to share that with you this morning because I've got this. Right here. And what you're looking at here is a baseball signed by every team member on the 1975 Class C American Legion baseball team. All right? I'm going to be keeping my eye on it because I don't want it to walk out of here. Okay? But if you also notice, right here, there's the autograph of... Mike Chaplin. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this, was, this was the moment of faith. And, and I even had some pictures that, that I thought I would share with you guys. Uh, so, so here we are. This is, this is uh, we're at just won the area tournament, qualified for state. Can you pick me out? No, left? No, that's fingers. That's fingers. Uh, literally, that was what we called him, fingers Philippi. Okay, there, there I am right there. I got it highlighted there. See, I'm right there wearing this hat, which doesn't fit my head anymore. I don't know what happened. Okay, and, and the next one, uh, this one's kind of cool uh, because see the old bust in the background? Uh, this was what we called the blue goose. It was painted blue because that was American Legion colors. Uh, it was about a 1962 bus, and we had to ride from Gothenburg, Nebraska, uh, in in August, uh, after celebrating all night long, uh, drinking Kool Aid, way too much Kool Aid, uh, at at the hotel in, in Gothenburg, after we won the state tournament, we drove all the way back, and and they literally had a town parade for us. It was crazy. People driving behind the bus, honking, cheering, having an awesome time, and and then they pull us off the bus and they want to take a picture. And if you can see. I'm standing there. I have no shirt on underneath my state jacket. It looked really cool, right? Okay, so so that's me there. Yeah, and uh, uh, but but that was an awesome thing. And this next one is the picture that they sent around the world, uh, you know, because this is we actually got cleaned up, and and uh, so I'm down here in fir- first row and uh, played first base, and and that but that was that was a, the awesome summer. That summer of 1975 was just so. So amazing, and it's kind of like Smalls, because there were so many things that happened to him that summer that started out him thinking that it was going to be horrible, and turned out to be something amazing, and, and that was my summer. Uh, it was summer, I was 16 years old, you know, just, my dad had just bought me a 70 Chevelle uh, that uh, was a really cool car, and, and I loved it, but... But our team actually went into uh, state with a losing record. <laughs> and it was crazy because all of a sudden, things just went haywire. And literally, from the time we started playing area until the championship game, uh, we won every game except two by the 10-run rule. It was crazy. In fact, the finals of the state tournament, we played Battle Creek, Nebraska. Anybody from Battle Creek? No? Okay, good. Because uh, they, 
They were horrible. We, we pulled up in the old Blue Goose. They pulled up in their charter bus, air conditioning, you know, the whole max. They pulled up, and they actually laughed at us when we got off the bus. And we beat them 15 to 5 in the championship. <laughs> and it was awesome. And, but I watched this movie, and it's just like memory after memory. I could literally stand here for the next hour and tell you different stories about memories that came to my head as I was watching this, but there is, there is no way that you can watch this movie without coming away with just a special appreciation for friends. Because that's really what it's all about. But I'm talking about real friends. Um, the, the friends like, like Benny was to Smalls. You know, in, in, that, in that whole movie, as, as Benny, you know, invests in Smalls, it, he didn't have to do that. He was already the best player on the team. And, you know, he should have known when the guy's bill on his cap was bigger than his glove that this guy was a loser and wasn't going to be able to do very well. But instead, he chooses to give him a hat, to give him a glove, and to work with him and, and just invest in him and to really become a friend. And, and you just have to really begin to appreciate friends when you think about this movie. And it's really easy for us when we live in this social media age. That's why Bill asked the question of how many friends do you have on social media? Because it's really easy for us to think that we have, have lots of friends. And in fact, um, it's been kind of interesting for me to, when I did a little research on this uh, about friendship, to study up about the impact that social media has had on the whole idea of what a friend is and what that looks like. And, and there's this guy named Robin Dunbar. Anybody know him? I didn't either. But uh, he's a guy from Oxford University, and he did this study, and he had, he had studied all kinds of social groups to, and looked at them to see, you know, how these friends, friendships interacted. And he specifically wanted to know what capacity we have as individuals as far as number of friends. And so he studied all these social groups, and he came up with this Dunbar number. And that Dunbar number, I want to say dumbbell. Dunbar number is that you are capable, because of the part of your brain, the neocortex, the part of your brain that manages friendship and everything that goes along with, you are capable of managing 150 friends. Now that's, in itself is pretty impressive, really, when you stop and think about it. Because when you really start narrowing down friends and, and identifying what friends are, but he defined a friend as someone that you have contact with once a week. It doesn't mean you talk to him a whole lot, you see him once a week, you might speak to him, but he considered that a friend. So that's 150 friends. So then it becomes not so impressive. But, but listen to what he said when he took this same study and applied it to social media. He said, the interesting thing is that you can have 1,500 friends, but when you actually look at traffic on your site, you see people maintain the same inner circle of about 150 people. People obviously like the kudos of having hundreds of friends, 
But the reality is that they're unlikely to be bigger than anybody else's maintained friends. But then he quoted this addictions expert, which I thought was really striking. This guy named David Smallwood who said this, Many who use Facebook become hooked on the urge to acquire more friends in an attempt to appear popular and successful. And it just struck me that it's kind of interesting that people are becoming more interested in numbers than actual relationships. And I think part of it is, is because we're so busy that we try and stay connected with people. And, and I want you to understand, I am not going to stand up here and bash Facebook. Because I, I love Facebook. I love social media. There are things that I find out about my kids that I would never know if it wasn't for social media. You know, I, I, you know, I'm like, hey, you got a new job? I didn't know that. That's amazing. You know, you had a child. Wow! You know, that's, that's awesome. You know, I'm glad I found out about it. You know, so there's so many things that, that uh, uh, Facebook and social media does, and, and I love it, and I'm not bashing it, bashing it, but the problem is we have all this information. We know a lot about each other, but we don't have the relationship. And, you know, you stop and think about it. Somebody's diagnosed with cancer or something, and, and uh, you read that on there, and you're like, oh, hey, prayer's coming your way. And you've done your duty. You've been a friend. And let's be honest. How many of us even carry through with the prayer part? Right? It's like we're communicating with them, but we're not talking to them. We're not sharing with them. It's just that distant touch. And that's, that's what bothers me about this whole idea of a friend on social media because uh, there's so much more to a friend than just that. Sociologists talk about three kinds of poverty in the world. Okay? One is material poverty, and we all know what that is, right? Where you don't have the things that you need, material poverty. Not the things you want, the things you need. Okay? And then the second one is spiritual poverty. And that's when you have all the wealth in the world, but morally you're bankrupt. Spiritually you're bankrupt. And we see that, right? We kind of live right in the middle of all that. But the third one is relational poverty. And that's when you are surrounded by people that you have no relationship with. And this morning, I just want to throw that out because I believe we live right in the middle of that as well. We live deep down inside knowing that we long for close relationships. I heard an interesting podcast uh, from, it was an interview, a guy named John Hart. Anybody heard of him? But John Hart started this organization called 100 Cameras. And uh, just go to 100cameras.com, look it up. It's, it's a really cool thing. But what, what he did, it was, the idea was born. The guy is an entrepreneurial stud, by the way. I mean, I just love to listen to his thought process about things. But he started this organization's uh, uh, 100 Cameras when he had a staff member of his who was go- getting ready to go on a missions trip. 
And uh, when they were going on this missions trip, this gal had this idea. She wanted to take a whole bunch of old digital cameras and take them and just let the kids, they were going to Sudan, let those kids play with those cameras. And so uh, he helped her find 100 cameras. And she took them, and they went to Sudan, and she handed them out. She showed the kids how to use them, and the kids thought they were awesome. And, and they played with them. And then when she got ready to leave, she left them a bunch of batteries. She took out the memory card, put a new memory card in, and she brought the memory card back home. And John Hart talks about how when they got back, he had sent this group of photographers over there with this missions group to, you know, to photograph their experience. And everything that they photographed was about the poverty and the filth and, and just, just everything that was lacking that we're just used to in America. That's what they photographed. But then when they looked at these memory cards of the things that these kids had photographed, it, it blew their minds. Because here in the midst of all this poverty, they saw all these pictures of friends laughing and playing and families laughing and playing together. And it just struck him that the lens that we were seeing things through was so different from them. And so what he did was he started this group called 100 Cameras. And what they do is they, they take these cameras to places like this and then they print the prints that these guys do and sell them and send that money over to help them with the poverty aspect that they live in. But the thing that he said we don't want to do is take away the relational poverty that they have. And when we talk about friends, it is so easy for us to just overlook how we're living. And when I watched this movie and started thinking about my own childhood, I realized that one of the things that really sucks about becoming an adult, my youngest daughter says that all the time, it sucks to become an adult. But one of the things that sucks the most is what? We lose our friendships. And we could talk for hours about why. Uh, You know, divorce, (laughs) social media, busyness of life, kids of our own. I mean, we could make a list a mile long. But the fact of the matter is, we need friends. And this morning, I just want us to look real quick at three things. Because... We need to understand, especially as a community of believers, that we need to avoid living in relational poverty. We need friends. And specifically, there are three kinds of friends that every one of you need. And notice that I didn't say friend, because I'm not talking about the BFF. You know, I'm talking about friends as in plural, because it's going to take more than just one friend to serve in this capacity. Okay, the first one is this. We need friends who make us better. We need friends who make us better. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, we've been looking at Proverbs through this whole series. It says this, as iron sharpens irons, so a friend sharpens a friend. One of the guys that I just love as a speaker, that I just love to listen to him when he teaches, is Craig Groeschel down at Life Church. 
And I just love to hear him. And he preached a whole series about friends. And the whole theme to that whole series was this. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That was the whole theme. And you know, that is so true because the people that we associate and hang around with and everything else have an impact on our future. And sometimes we don't like to talk about it, but you hear business leaders all the time talk about the, how the reason that they're successful is because they always make sure they are the dumbest person in the room. And, and, and believe me, I, I found that to be totally true. I want to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, that are more successful than me, because that draws me in the right direction. And so many times we have friends that do not make us better. And, and we all understand that. We all know that. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. In Proverbs chapter 13 it says this, Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Mr. Mr. T loved that verse. Pity the fool, right? <laughs> but it does, notice it doesn't say that a companion of fools makes you a fool. It says a companion of fools suffers harm. And basically, you know, a fool, what they're talking about there is somebody who knows better, and yet they go ahead and do it anyway. And we all know people like that. <laughs> we, maybe you are one. You know, you just, you, you can't help yourself. You know, you know you shouldn't do that, but you do it anyway, and you plow ahead. <laughs> yeah, the Bible calls that a fool. But notice what it says. It says that, when you're around people like that, sooner or later their life is going to blow up and you're going to get caught in the shrapnel. That's really what it's saying. And time and time again, I've seen this happen with people where they get wrapped up with the wrong friends and things go bad. Nothing that they did, but just that association. They're in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's people all the time. I, I think back to my own young life and times that, man, I was very fortunate to not be sitting in the state pen right now uh, for things that, that I was a part of. And uh, if you've been around heard me tell stories about my childhood, you know that that's very true. But there's another verse that, that parents love this verse. They love to, to pull it out. It's kind of their ninja Bible verse. Okay, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. But here's the deal. There's this tension that's created. Because as believers, so many times what you hear taught is just what we talked about here. And, and, And so on one hand, you need to Surround your people that are going to make you better. You need to to surround yourself with friends that will make you better. But on the other hand, if you surround yourself so much with just those people, you isolate yourself from non-Christians. And so there's this tension that takes place in how do you do that? How, how How do you have both? Because they're both traps. 
Because on, on one hand, if all you do is surround yourself with believers and, and, and you just have this whole group of believers around you and, and you sit around and sing Kumbaya, that's not what God calls us to do either. But at the same time, you see people at times go on these solo crusades where they're going to go and they're going to integrate with this group and they're going to save them and they're going to change them and they're swallowed up by them and they become just like them rather than influencing them in a good way. And so there's this tension that we have. And, and the older I get, the more I realize the importance of balance. Because neither one of those work. And if you live in the extremes, that's not healthy. And there's really no, no magical mix. There's, there's not this one where you have to have you know, 60 believers, 60% believers and 40, 40% non-believers to be happy as a, and be a solid Christian. Okay? There's no magical mix like this because different seasons of our lives provide different opportunities. And we need to step into those opportunities. And so... Certain times of your life, you may have more non-Christian friends than you have actually Christian friends around you. Just because of circumstances. Just because of where you work. Just because of life in general. Things change. But here's the deal. If you find that the majority of your friends are unbelievers, you're going to struggle as a believer. So we need friends that will make us better. And you have to ask yourself, are they? Am I better when I'm with them or am I worse? Secondly, we need friends who will stick with us. Proverbs 18.24 says this, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, we need friends who will always have our backs. Those are the friends that through thick or thin, they are there. The only thing consistent in your whole life may be those friends. There are times when the last thing you need is somebody pointing a judgmental finger at you. You know you screwed up. And these are the friends that are going to just come and sit with you and help you. Friends that stick with you. They are so important. And if you have friends like that, they are so, so valuable. They're worth more than gold. But they're hard to find. And there's times when you need more than just physical backing. Uh, there's times when you need spiritual backing as well. Uh, I have friends that I can call when I need them to pray. And I know that as soon as I get done talking to them, they will be on their knees sincerely, earnestly praying on my behalf. And they will continue to do that on a daily basis until I let them know that there's something else that they need to pray about. And those friends are amazing. That spiritual support. I had to find some of that when my mom passed away because that was my mom. 
she was a spiritual warrior. But I have friends who, who know the Bible and they'll point things out to me in the scripture and they'll point me in that right direction. And I need that spiritual backing from time to time. But those are the friends that will stick with you. Thirdly, here's the deal. We need friends who will tell us the truth. All right? We need friends who will tell us the truth. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, a friend will tell you the truth even if it hurts, but others will just keep kissing your butt. That's really what it means. We have a great example of that in the Old Testament when David, and he's kind of a famous guy, and you probably know the story of of him and Bathsheba and how he commits adultery with Bathsheba, and he carries out this whole terrible ordeal, and yet he doesn't see how bad of a thing that he did. And so God sent him a friend, Nathan. And Nathan went to David, and he said, David, I want to just tell you a little story. He tells him a story about a very wealthy man. And he said he had so many sheep and cattle that you couldn't even count them. The guy was super rich. Richer than Donald Trump. Okay? And and he was so rich that he had all these cattle. And then there was another man who was very poor. And he had one little lamb. He called the lamb by name. It was like a pet to him. And one day a traveler came, and the traveler was hungry, and so the wealthy man said, Come and eat at my table. But he didn't want to kill one of his own sheep, so he went and he took the sheep from the poor man, and he killed it and served it to the man. And when David heard that, he was so angry. He said, How could that guy do that? How in the world could he possibly? That is horrible. And Nathan looked at him and he said, David, you are that man. And that was a dangerous truth to speak to a king who had power to put you to death. But as a friend, those words needed to be spoken to him. And they were received, and David repented. And if you want to read how he repented, you can just read it in, in, in Psalms 51. And it was such an amazing thing. And when was the last time that you had a friend that you got mad at because they spoke truth to you? I, I do it sometimes uh, because it's hard to hear, but it's the truth. So let me ask you, do you have those kinds of friends? Are you living in relational poverty? Uh, And you may be saying, Mike, I would love to have those kinds of friends. How do you get them? And all I can say to you is it's very hard. Here's why. Because you have to be one of those friends before you can have one of those friends. And we don't want to do that. We've become so accustomed to living in relational poverty that we settle for these super 
sacrificial friendships. And listen, when we talk about community here at Mosaic, when we talk about doing mission together, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about becoming friends like that. To becoming friends with each other that make us better, that make us grow in Christ. We're talking about becoming the type of friends that stick with each other. We're talking about becoming the kinds of friends who will tell each other the truth when we need to hear it. And when we talk about blowing up life groups and changing them because we want them to be more mission-minded, that's exactly what we're talking about. We have to fight the idea that life groups are just another place to go. We're also busy. We don't need another place to go, but we need relationships. And when we see life groups simply becoming a place that we go to other than Sunday morning, and we're doing the same things that we do on Sunday morning, that's not what we want for relationships here. Can you imagine what would happen if those groups became friends like what we talked about this morning? The impact that it would have on Lincoln would be amazing. But it all starts with you. Because Aaron is not going to make this community great. And Bill is not going to go down to the bay and make the bay great. What's going to make this place great is you. Being that kind of friend. With one person at a time. Surrounding yourself with people that will make you better. Let me pray for you. Father, this is one of those things that we talk about. And God, I'm talking to myself just as much as anybody else because we want something. It's kind of like losing weight, how we want to lose weight and yet we're not willing to make the sacrifices that we need to to do it. We want friendships. We want to be able to, to have that part of our life that's shored up with people around us that make us better, that stick with us, that speak truth into our lives. We want all that, but yet... There's just so many distractions. And God, my prayer this morning is that you will just help us see the need to push some of those things away. God, I just, I pray first of all for that person who has not accepted the invitation that you have given to them to become a friend of you in Christ. Maybe they need to take that step first. Is just say, God, I'm, I'm tired of, of my life the way it is. I need to give it to you. I need to surrender to you and become your friend, to become obedient to you. But God, my prayer this morning is that each one of us will be given a person that we will step out, reach out to, and touch. God, I just pray that you'll just... Use your spirit to just challenge us today so we don't walk away from this. Let this be a time that friendship just 
blows through this place. And we just pray a song in your son's name. Amen.